0: You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 1030 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Hey, take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to the book of Psalm 51 as we launch into our study this morning, continuing to uh, look at this campaign called Powerful Affections. and uh, You know, uh, I also encourage you to take out your worship folder. Uh, Inside of it has uh, some notes to jot down. You want to open up to those. There's some blanks to fill in. The answers will be up on the screen as we walk through this this morning. I encourage you to do that. And also, uh, when you're uh, in your small group, uh, your small group leader should have the uh, small group study. If you're for some reason not in a small group and you want to get one, go out to the uh, lobby area and there's a desk under the sign Community Life Group so you can get into a small group. But if you're not in a small group, still you grab this small group study. There's some down here and there's some in the uh, lobby area, but I encourage you to do that because there's some great things that you'll be challenged with along with the devotional book. Uh, most of you have gotten one of these, but if you're new with us, feel free to go in the lobby area and get one of these. It's a great devotional, something to read every day about the life of David as we walk through this campaign together. But uh, um, here we are, the the Sunday after the Super Bowl, and we're all very excited for uh, Pastor Justin McKeldry. Uh, Yeah, yeah, we can be happy for him. Yay, Justin. uh, Some people say it was a great game. I don't know if it's really a game. It was more of an exhibition. Because uh, one team didn't show up, uh, and it wasn't the Seahawks. Uh, but uh, um, we're happy for Pastor Justin, who's just a diehard Seahawks fan, and, and we're counseling him on his idle obsession with uh, the Seahawks, uh, especially with this series. I think it's appropriate. But what's interesting to me is um, when the game was going on, and, and even now after the game, uh, the relentless critics are out there. I mean, even to the to the people who lost the, the Broncos, this was the most favorite on uh, Facebook. Here is uh, uh, Manning calling mom, "Can you come get me?" Yeah, that was about in the half of the game. And then even even the the, the uh, Denver people had to throw in some some smack to the Seattle team. Uh, and you see this thing up there: Seattle has a chump, we have a champ, and and I guess we saw what really happened in there. But it's interesting to me that there's just no grace. So we can't wait to smear. Uh, the other team. We just can't wait to do that. And, and uh, th- there's just no grace there. And, and actually, now that the, the Super Bowl's over, now we can start dealing with the Olympics. Oh, by the way, do you know how great Canada is doing in the Olympics? <laughs> really doing great. They were actually up in the medal ring. And then, and then just this morning, the um, U.S. got another gold. So now, you know, Canada's fourth and, and U.S. is third in gold, uh, gold medals right now, or in just medals, period. But anyways, uh, but Canada's doing great. And just wait till curling. Uh, Canada tends to dominate in that, but but we get no grace, it, it, there's a great void in our world when it comes to grace and mercy and forgiveness. You know, a, a political leader makes a bad decision or actions, uh, and then the vultures are waiting to pounce, uh, exploiting their mistakes and, and to promote uh, another political agenda. A, a good moral person uh, says what they believe, and it gets twisted into a hate crime, uh, A prominent person seeks to help a cause, and their motives are judged. A a friend won't let go of a perceived or even actual wrong. A spouse will not forgive. A parent, in the name of tough love, exasperates a child. A child takes entitlement to an extreme form of graceless pride. It ignores the wisdom of their parents. Um, This is the climate of the idle way of life. Uh, no room for grace, no room for mercy, no room for forgiveness. <clears throat> you see, as we've been talking, uh, there is uh, two roads to live in life. Uh, there is a narrow road that Jesus talked about. It's the way of God. It's actually a grace-filled way of life. Uh, living as God designed, living as as God would would want us to. And then there's this other, broader road, which is really the idle way. It's a, it's a graceless uh, uh form of works. Uh, God's system is a system of grace. Uh, The idol system is a system of works. You have to work to achieve and to accomplish. The way of God is full of promise, grace, love, joy, peace, security, significance. And God, God himself, God uh, in a close personal relationship. For the way of God is to fully set our affections on him, that narrow road. Not a heartless list of do's and don'ts, but a choice to love God with all of our heart. But this other way, this broader road, this idle way, is to set our ultimate affections on really on self, or whatever we want, or the other things the world tells us are important. Even taking good moral things and making them the most important thing. That's what's called the sin of idolatry. Anything that takes the place of God in our lives is an idol. Like when we look for that deep, life-sustaining love from friends or a spouse or a parent or a child or even intimacy and romance, rather than God, it becomes a toilsome, graceless chase. Solomon talked about that in the book of Ecclesiastes, like chasing and trying to grab the wind. Idols can be those things that we daydream about and hold as most valuable. As well, the sin of idolatry is when we put that faith-based foundational trust in anything but God to be our savior of our lives. Like looking for personal achievement to gain significance or financial prosperity to achieve security or keeping that tight overriding control to maintain our agenda and to maintain peace. All motivated by a merciless fear that says, if I don't get these things, if I don't achieve these things, if I don't have these things, then life is not worth living. Idols can be those things that cause us nightmares that we're fear of losing. Idols can also be those things that we let have that great influence and power over us in life, that we let be that master or that Lord over us that is not God. Yes, it's those graceless, ominous fears we let manipulate us with guilt and insecurities and want. You see, idols can be those things that push our emotional buttons to react because they are most important. They are most valuable to us. And it moves us emotionally. Yet the one key quality of faith in Jesus is grace and forgiveness. That unmerited favor, that blessing rather than condemnation. It's like how uh, we have been dealt with sin. The, the Bible's clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has been born into this um, uh, condition, this propensity not to go God's way, but to go the idle way. And, and our heart is, a, is an idle factory, Timothy Keller says, in that book that, that, that uh, Rich talked about. And we have this propensity, this movement, this desire to go that direction, and, and we could stay in that. In that sinful condition, we can't experience God. We can't live up to our full potential and we won't be led into heaven. Uh, That's a a sad place to be and there's nothing we can do personally to right ourselves. Now, because of God's grace, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin because the wage of sin, the Bible says, is death. It means we will never have that relationship with God. We won't be led into heaven. We'll we'll, we'll die that death of, of, of eternal damnation because of that. But yet Jesus says, hey, I've got a way out. And you don't need to do anything for it. You just simply need to believe. And so by grace, we're saved. And yet to benefit from that grace is to act upon it, to believe and be changed by it. One of the um, the stories that oozes grace and forgiveness is Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables, how many of you have seen the movie or read the book or done that? A lot of you have. It's a, it's a phenomenal story. It's a very thick book. It's a shorter movie and the musical that's there. It's, it's a story of uh, Jean Valjean who uh, goes to, to, to feed. Uh, this, he steals bread because he's so hungry and he gets caught. In that part of, of France, he's tattooed with a, a, a convict's number on him and he is marked for life a graceless society, no grace for him. Once you marked with this tattoo, you will always be a convict, they say. And so he pays for his term. Uh, he, he works off his debt, and he's let free, and they know you'll be back again. And, and so as he goes, he can't find any work because no one will hire him because of his tattoo, because of his convict number, because he is a criminal. And people feel that in a graceless society where you have to work your way out, you've done the unpardonable, and now you can no longer have anything. And and destitute, he slumps out by a church, and the minister finds him, brings him in, feeds him, and gives him a warm bed. In the middle of the night, he wakes up, and he goes, I'm going to go take things. And so he takes up all the the silver in the house, wraps it up, and, and leaves off. Well, he gets caught by the gendarmes, the police, and brings him back to the minister's house. And... And, and Valjean thinks this is it. He's going to say, yes, he, those are my things, and he stole them. But the minister does something very unusual. The minister says, oh, no, I gave those to them. And as a matter of fact, you forgot the silver candlesticks as well. And Valjean is, 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 is taken by this act of, of grace, this act of unmerited favor, and he changes And he seeks to live a life of gracefulness. It's a great picture of how we should live our life, that we don't deserve anything. But yet Christ uh, gives us and offers us even the candlesticks too in life and blesses us and calls us now part of his own. and, And we need that grace and forgiveness. Because when we go down that street of having idle affections, giving the power of influence and desire and significance is something else but God, it is called sin. Write down somewhere in your notes, it's going to be up on the screen, it's just the, the passage, but it's a, um, in Exodus chapter 20 verse um, 3, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, that word before is a very interesting word. It doesn't mean like, here are all these other gods, okay, and then, God, then God, the God of the Bible, God of the universe should be number one. No, it means that there should be no other gods before me, There should be just God. You could read the verse like this. You shall have no other gods, just God. Or you shall have no other gods, only God. But yet what we want to do is very interesting. We want to say God and my idols. We want to say, oh, of course, you know, we as good American Christians want to have, have, a, have God in our lives. And we go to church and we say, yeah, God is, is number one. But there's, a, there's also the American dream. Then there's also uh, the want for power. Then there's also the the want for material things. And there's also, and also, and also, and we have all these idols in our life. But God, right in the very beginning in Exodus, says, no, you shall have no other gods, just me. And in verse 4, it's not written up on the screen, but you can read it later. It says, you shall not make for yourself any idol in any form. We've been studying the character of David in our Campaign. This concentrated focus is through the devotional as we've been looking at the life of David. David was a, a man who was who set his affections on God, but there were times in his life where he where he did God and where he shifted his affections off of God, really, and on to some of the idols of life. And he made his own idols: idols of pleasure, and of power, and of desire, and of, uh, of ultimately of self. Being deceived that his way to fix his problem was better and more valuable than god 's you see when we have other idols in our life and not just god what we 're saying is that well we really don 't value God all of that much, we really value the other idols in life and David did that, and and as we 've been studying in second Samuel chapter eleven we we heard about his great sin where he valued the, the lust after a woman instead of what God had said in the purity of life. And David had made idols. And, and the truth is, we do the same thing. Like when money becomes the main motivation and we cheat on our taxes, we stop being generous, we, we think about it, we're consumed by it, we stress over it. I think God is not against nice things. But when something becomes the ultimate thing, the most important thing, we may be making it an idol. Or like when we deem things of such value, we choose to obey it rather than God. Like in the sexual area of life, whether it's being promiscuous or viewing porn or dabbling in homosexuality, it's not that God is against sex or love or enjoyment, but that what we choose to obey is our God, is an idol. And what we should be choosing to obey is the God of the Bible. See, an idle way is graceless. If we choose anything but God, it is an idol, and that idle way is graceless. And every day, we, we battle that idol of self, those other idols that feed that insatiable desire for self, success, significance, fame, fortune, want, pride, or whatever feeds our need for self-power, holding us in that idle way of life. But there is a way out. Lest you think that this whole sermon is going to be really intense. And it kind of is because it's talking about David's confession of sin. But uh, there is a way out. And David's life is a good example. See, God did not give up on David. When David chose the idle way of life, God just didn't say, okay, fine. He actually helped him. And he sent him the prophet Nathan who was used by God to get through to David, using a a very unique story. Write down a second, well, it's on the top of your page, second Samuel chapter 12, but the specific part is in verses 1 to 7. David had not only uh, committed adultery, but as you read and as you heard last couple weeks, that David also committed murder, and he lied, and he cheated, and he stole. And David was just fully into his idle way of life, and even thinking that he could fix things and and so Nathan, the prophet, comes to him, and he, and he tells him a story. You see, David didn't think it was any big deal what he was doing. I mean, every king did that. Every king in his, his area had the ultimate rule. He could say, I want you, I want you, I want this happen, I want you off, you know, murdered, I want this thing. And it was no big deal because they were king. And he'd learned a lot of that from Saul, how Saul was king. And it was natural, it was okay, it was, it was no big deal And so Nathan came to him, and and with a story of a gluttonous uh, rich person who had a friend over, and instead of using his myriad of animals to pull from to feed that friend, he took the one and only sheep of a poor uh, uh, shepherd. This one and only sheep was like the shepherd's own daughter, And, and he took that and slaughtered it and fed it to his friend. And as David heard this story, you could just see the rage in him. Who is that man? I'm going to tear him to pieces. He's, he's and He's such a bad person. He's, he's, he's stolen. He's, he's taken what's not his. And Nathan just looked him in the eye and pointed his finger at him, at least that's how I imagined it, and said, you are that man. And David, it just, it just got him. He realized that he had valued his way over God's way. And he fell down flat and repented. And he set God back as his highest affection. And Psalm 51 is David's confession of his idol sin, giving us four key elements to tear down idols and enjoy the powerful grace of God. And let's look at that. But before we do, would you mind just rising to your feet for a second, set aside your, your notes and things and... And I want to pray. I'm I'm glad that you're here today. glad that you chose to to worship with us because I believe God has something to say directly to you. Um, He wants you to hear something loud and clear. I don't know exactly what it is, but God does. And and this is one of those sermons that you kind of dread a little bit because it's a little bit... (sighs) It's a little bit on the heavy side. Because we're talking about sin, and, it's, and it'll be, it's been uncomfortable for me to study. It will be uncomfortable for all of us to walk through. But I know God has something for us, so let's pray. Father, uh, we come before you this morning uh, challenged with this idle way of life, and, and yet, Lord, we want to set our affections on you. And so this morning, God, we're asking you to expose some of these things. We're asking you to, to challenge us and to teach us how we might move away our affections off of our idols and move them onto you. I know, Lord, you've challenged me even this morning early as walking through this and spending time with you over these verses. And, and God, I pray the same for each one of us. Use this time, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat and keep your pens handy and your notes there. And as we walk through this, four key elements to tear down idols enjoy the powerful grace of God. The first element to enjoy the powerful grace of God and tear down those idols are is to receive grace. Psalm 51 starts out with an appeal. Have mercy on me, O God. See, to receive grace is to ask, to ask for mercy. It requires that we see ourselves in need or in the sin of our adultery, that we want help, that we want to stop. My uh, daughter, Jessica, uh, she's a nurse, and now she works for the County of Orange, and one of her main focus is homeless people. So Jessica, my little Jessica, will, you know, walk into a park, and she'll be going up to homeless people and trying to help, help them get help. That's one of the things the County of Orange hires her to do, and it's kind of nice that we have a county that's willing to do that. Uh, but there's a lot of times she will encounter in, in, in these people who desperately need help. She sees their need for even medical attention. And she not only wants to help them medically, but help them uh, holistically. And that's what the County of Orange wants to do. And so she's there trying to help them. To get, she's got a whole list of programs to help them get themselves right. And, and there's a lot of times that as she's doing that, the people just simply refuse it. And here they are, almost dying in their coughing and struggling and, and, and things like that. And yet she has help to give them, but they won't take it. And she shed many tears over them. Because she cares for them She wants them to get help It's like that alcoholic Who has not yet hit their rock bottom They don't want mercy They want a handout Or to feed their idle addiction And honestly we can be just like that Not seeing there's a problem With our obsession for control Or that push for that perfect family Or we have that drive to always be right or always be busy or always be productive or always have times of play or your team has to win. No, see, to receive grace is to genuinely ask for mercy. To get that we are not going the right way, not living God's way, and be broken. Broken enough to say, as verse 1 says, blot out my transgressions. It's that sense of humility, brokenness, and reverence to God, yielding to Him. David talks about it uh, 17 verses later when he says in in Psalm 51, The sacrifices, God, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Broken meaning not destroyed, but the pride, the self-idol is smashed, and there is a humility, a contrition. Contrition meaning hurt or remorse. That we are neglecting our affections towards God Towards God enough to change It's not like that idle works based realm Where we are working off the debt of our sin Or somehow can earn enough good credits to cancel out debt That's the idle way The idle way says you have to appease the idol of success With time and money and resources to be significant Every idol requires an offering a sacrifice to appease. It's like the idols in India. Some of you have been to the Indian. You've seen all these little idols all over the place. And, and, and the, you always see them adorned with flowers or fruit or some kind of offering and, and people praying before them because they, they, they want to appease the gods to get what they want. It's a system of fear, uncertainty, no love. For an idol cannot love you back. God is not like that. He offers grace. Write down Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. It says that even though our sin separates us and we deserve his wrath, we are given grace. A lot of you know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Let's read it out loud together. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But you have to be willing to receive it. You know, it's interesting, as I've talked to some, uh, even believers for a a long time, they say they have a difficult time receiving grace. I wonder what idol is behind that. Why can't we receive grace? God absolutely loves you. And we can appeal to his unfailing love. The chesed of God, as we've talked about, that Hebrew word that means that loving kindness of God, that incredible love that says, I love you in spite of all that you go through. Even though you cover yourselves with idols, he still loves us. He still cares about us. Look back at Psalm 51. Let me read you verses one and two. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. That's the chesed of God. According to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquities, cleanse me from my sin. Three requests to deal with our sin. First is to blot it out, meaning to get the impurities out, to get them out of us, to annihilate them. It's the desire to want to have them out. See, to receive grace is to want to be pure. We're a bit obsessed with getting the impurities out of life. I mean, this is just a few of the products. that we have that are antibacterial I mean there's antibacterial soap and toothpaste and body wash and shampoo and you know we want to just bathe in Purell sometimes (laughs) we're obsessed on the outside with making sure that we are are pure but what we need to be is as, as obsessed on the inside with the purity of our heart to say blot out my transgressions we need that care of our heart Next is to wash away, meaning to clean off, and how they would wash things in that day and age. They'd take it down to the river and they would wash it and then they would beat the dirt out by the rocks and then they would squidgy it out and then beat it on the rocks. And whatever it takes to get the dirt out, that's what needs to happen. Sometimes we don't want whatever it takes because sometimes those idols are really deep in our life and it will take a surgery to remove it. And the process is difficult. Any surgery any dealing with cancer takes a lot. Washing away the idols of self and pride and want are tough. I remember I was, uh, um, uh, uh, did a walk along with a, uh, a doctor many years ago, my friend who was a doctor, and I got to wear greens, and people called me doctor," and I thought it was kind of fun. But um, I remember we, we were doing our rounds in, in the morning. And uh, we walked in this one uh, lady's room, and she was, just, she was just getting her makeup on. She would only half her face done, which is kind of a little bit weird. But uh, um, she was a businesswoman, and, and she had been there all night long. And the reason she had been there is she had been there because of alcohol poisoning. She had drank so much alcohol, and she was a, a definite alcoholic, but she, but she had gone to that point where it was poisoning her whole body. And the doctors were there. The whole team of us were there, us doctors, um, and, and we were encouraging her because we told her, you get drunk again, you may not get out of it. You'll slip into a coma and you will die. And almost every doctor said that, and I chimed in that too, just looking at me, who are you, what? <laughs> I had greens on, I looked the part. But as we walked out of the room, a lot of them said, she's not going to change. She hasn't hit a rock bottom. She uh, doesn't really want to because it's going to take a lot of work because she's well into that idol. And yet, the truth is, nothing is impossible with God. Absolutely nothing. No matter how far you go down the idol path, you can always turn around. As well, to deal with our sin, we need to ask God to cleanse me To make us pure, that 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 clean feeling we get, you know, after you've done dirty yard work and you got leaves stuck in your hair and you're you got dirt all over the place, you go take a shower and you just ah, I just feel clean. That refreshing feel. See, the idle way is, is weighty and dirty, but did not Jesus say, My burden is light? To receive grace is to ask for God's mercy. And grace, and do whatever it takes to rid us of the idols of life. The question is, will you? Another element to enjoy the powerful grace of God and to tear down idols is to take responsibility. Look at verses three and six of three to six from Psalm fifty-one. David says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be proven right when you speak, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful for the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inmost parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost parts. David recognized his sin, his will for choice not to go God's way. He didn't blame, no excuses here. He just simply said, I did it, and he owned it. It's my fault, and I take full responsibility for my actions. That is not the norm of sin. (laughs) Uh, Write down Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. It's a story of of Adam and Eve and their sin in the garden. And and many of you know this story. Uh, uh, God said, you know, you can enjoy the garden except for this tree. You cannot eat from this tree. Don't eat from it. It's wrong. And yet the, the enemy, Satan, as the serpent comes in and starts enticing Eve and says, Oh, no. This is not all that bad. You can just take one bite and it's okay. And so she gets lured over to the tree. She takes a bite and her eyes are open. She hands it to her husband, Adam. He eats it, his eyes are open, and they go, Wow. Uh, And then all of a sudden they realize they've sinned. And God comes walking in the in the garden and goes, and he already knows what's happened. But he says, What's going on here? And then he points at Adam and says, Did you eat from the tree? And Adam is, you know, with, I don't know if it was apple, but anyways, drool coming out of his mouth from the the fruit, and he goes, ah, 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 it's not my fault. It's the woman that you made. She made me do it. And the woman who says, say there with you know with the apple or whatever in her hand, and she's you know, oh no, the serpent made me do it. And the, the thing about sin is that we always want to blame. It's not my fault. I was born with this propensity to do this, and I just was born that way, so I must be having to have to go that direction. Or, or it just is, I really want it really bad, and you know the circumstances were the way they are, and now, now I have to. It's not my fault. To take responsibility is to recognize where we are by our own willful choice. No blame, but agree with God that we're down that idle path. And as many of you have been telling me uh, as you've been walking through this study, the, the uh, small group time and going through the, the um, devotional and, and being here on Sundays, you're beginning to see the idols in your life. You're beginning to see that, wow, that, that really is an idol, and I've set my affections away from God and put it on this idol. And you're feeling that conviction. It's time to own it. It's time to take responsibility for it. We may have slipped into it, but we own it. We've chosen to go and to move our affections off of God and onto that. In the back of the uh, uh, devotional, there's a list that we put here from Keller's book. Um, it talks about the different idols of life. Uh, one is the, 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 the idolatry of power. See, we don't want power God's way. We want power our way. And we've turned our affections off of God and onto ourselves. We don't want Uh, family can even be an idol even good things can be an idol like family and we can take uh, we don't want family God's way we want family our way Uh, we don't want uh, approval God's way we want approval our way we don't want comfort God's way we want comfort our way we don't want control God's way we want control our way and you can go down the list as we walk through this and it's that choice to realize that and to take responsibility. We've gone, gone that way. We are down that idle path. See, to experience the grace of God's way is to take responsibility and own the reality we are where we are. So the question is, where are you? Are you on that narrow road with your affection set solely on God or are you trying the idle way, which is God and, or just simply not God and, only idols? time to admit it. It's time to own it. And now that we own our sin, we can seek restoration. Look at verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquity. To be restored is seeing and believing the idle way as, and he lists them in these two verses, failure, bone-crushing, hurtful, wayward, distance from God and his Holy Spirit, and then to stop. Stop going that way, knowing and believing God's way as whiter than snow, pure, joy, gladness, rejoicing, steadfast, secure, connected to God, purposeful, and significant. You know, it's... uh, It's a bit like um, me seeking to restore my health. I I don't know if you've noticed, but I've lost a few pounds. (laughs) I've actually lost almost 20. And uh, uh, about, I don't know, four months ago, I I was just not feeling right. You know, just something was not right inside, and I wasn't sure whether it, you know, I was having heart issues or what. And I go to the doctor, and, and he would always say, you know, whether I was going there sick or something, he goes, you know, Oh, if you lost a few pounds you 'd be okay, and my blood pressure was getting up there and and then I did a blood test, and my sugars were a little high and and every time you know you're you 're not fully you know, high blood pressure you 're not fully diabetic, but you know if you just lost a few pounds you 'd be all right and and maybe things would right themselves, sure, you have diabetes in your background, sure you have high blood pressure in your background, and you may always have that and need medication to fix it but you know if you just lose a few pounds as a matter of fact. When he got back, my one of my tests that was pretty high and sugar. He says, "You know, let me give you a, let me um, send you to a class to learn how to eat right." I went, "What? I mean, I'm not obese. I mean, you say it's only a little bit of weight, so you know maybe, maybe I don't eat all that well, but I don't need to go to a class. You see, my affections were on my way because I liked what I eat. You know those." Handful of crazins, you know those craisins? Handful of those things, ah, oh, they're good for you, right? Craisins, they're good for you. No, I, I, one quarter cup is as much as eating a full-size candy bar of sugar. I had no idea. Should have gone to the class. <laughs> uh, but I was loving my own way of life rather than loving the health and finally, I, I realized that I wasn't getting better. And I said, man, I was just feel like I'm having heart issues. And, I, and then it went on a treadmill. I said, no, you're fine. But you know, if you could lose a little weight, you do this. And finally, I set my affections on what the doctors had said and health and wellness. And lo and behold, I lost about 20 pounds. Still going down. I still got a few more to go. But I'm working at that. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Uh, the problem is, I still feel hungry. All the time, and I really like craisins <laughs> and chocolate and donuts and big beefy ribs and <laughs> yeah. And but I like health more, and and I want to be around for my kids and my grandkids. And I and and um, I like health and living more. You see, it's it's seeing the difference and setting our affections on God. So choose to God's way and ask. Yes, confess and admit our sin of idolatry and then ask God to cleanse us, to recognize Jesus' work on the cross. In the Psalm 51, verse 10 through 12 say, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not chase me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. Ask God, and He does that, and and, and we're restored. I, I need some help. Come help me, please. <clears throat> he kind of looks godly, doesn't he? <laughs> Let's just say that he's God. Yeah, I know it's, oh, okay. it's <laughs> big shoes to fill, but yeah. you do well at that. It's a goatee. <laughs> at the, and, 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 we, and I come to know God. I, I realize my sin that has separated me, and I realize that Jesus took away that sin, and I, I believe. I say I believe that, that Christ came to die for my sins, and I, and I start in a relationship with God. And we're having a great relationship. So let's... let's. Let's go around life, God. We're, we're, we're traveling through life and just enjoying life together. And, and I'm, I'm really set on, you lead me, God. Where, do you, where, where, where should we go? This, oh, way? this way. Okay, this way's great. Let's go. And I'm letting him lead oh, that's me. That's right. Oh, for sure. I wanted to go that way, but we'll go this way now. And I'm excited about the fact that God and I are going through life together. He is leading me. My affection is set solely on him and his way of life. That's why I read his word, because it shows me his way of life. Well, sooner or later, because my heart is, a, is an idle factory, I start having my time with God, but I start looking at other things. I, I look at, uh, ooh, there's my wife over there. I really, yeah, I, I mean, I love her, and you've let me love her, and that's greatness. I've had a great time. But, but sometimes I can, I can say, oh, God, I really don't want to go your way, and I'm just going to kind of turn my back on you. And now I'm going to do my own thing. The thing about God, he says he never leaves us or forsakes us. So wherever we go, he just comes with us and he lets us go. A lot of times he taps us on the shoulder and says, "Hey, come back to me. Hey, t- turn around." Because the way you're going is not a good way, even though there's good things in there like family and 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 church and and things like that and and yet I can make an idol out of anything. I can make an idol out of this chair. I can set my soul affections on that chair. And God keeps reminding me, keeps saying, you know, "Hey, I'm here. I'm here." And until we come to that point where we turn around, you know what the biblical word for turning around is called? It's repent. When I set my affections not on the idols, but I actually now turn around and, and set them on God, that's when I repent. And I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to set my affections back on God to turn. And that's why I was with, 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 with health. I was setting my affections on whatever I wanted and I turned and set them on health, and it made a difference in my life. And it's the same with God. You know, We want to just keep our idol way with God on our shoulder, and we're just walking through life and all of our idols, and we're just enjoying life with our idol uh, way of life. And God is still there, and we think, oh, that's okay. And yet we're not experiencing the full embrace of God, the full way of God, and the full life with God, because we won't turn around. It's time to turn around. It's time to do that. Now, even in turning around, we, we think we need to do some work. Oh my gosh, I need to be, you know, I've messed up. I've gone the other way. Now I need to turn around. Okay, God, what do I need to work for? And God says, you don't need to do anything. Just live life my way. And you're restored. No matter how far you go, you can always turn back. Look at David. Adultery. Murder. Lying. Deceit. I mean, he broke about every commandment you could think of. And he was way deep into it. And yet he turned. (coughs) How about you? The band is going to come out right now. And I'm going to give us a time of confession. A time where we just, you and God, and get honest. And think about your life. Have you really set your affections fully on God? Or are you trying to do God end, Or are you just blazing down the idle trail? You can turn back even right now. And it starts with just a confession to say, God, I have messed up. I have set my affections on and just start listing them. And believe me, you ask God to tell you, he will reveal them to you. I mean, this morning, God woke me up at. (laughs) 3.30, Three thirty, <laughs> I was coughing, but I couldn't go back to sleep. And I was praying through this and, and thinking through, this, God, what, what are my idols? What do I put before you? I mean, like, Mike, you want success? You want a successful church, but not successful in my eyes. You want successful church in the world's eyes. <sighs> Lord, uh, forgive me. Forgive me for setting my affections on that and not on what you want. Mike, you want want approval. You want people to like you. You want uh, people to be uh, encouraging around you. You want approval the world's way. I've already given you approval, and I show it to you daily, and you know that. And so I confess that. What is it for you Take this time as this song is being played and, and do some business with God. Maybe the greatest thing you do all week.